Welcome to our weekly three-minute therapy podcast, and we discuss Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, REBT, devised by Albert Ellis in the 1950s, which caused a revolution in the psychotherapy movement. And today we're going to be discussing REBT, existentialism, and Jordan Peterson. And to do that, we have a number of participants. Uh, myself, Michael Edelstein, I'm a clinical psychologist and author with another one of our guests today, David Ramsey Steele of Three Minute Therapy and Therapy Breakthrough. And also Mick Berry, my weekly uh, partner on these podcasts. And Mick and I wrote a book together, Stage Fright, Overcoming Public Speaking Anxiety. And also, we're pleased to have Neeraj Nanal with us, who is an expert in REBT also. Today, we're going to be discussing REBT, existentialism, and Jordan Peterson. David, would you want to start by just giving us a brief idea of what existentialism is? Oh, dear me. Uh, okay, okay. Well, existentialism is one of these movements, and other examples would be liberalism and socialism, where people started calling themselves by that label, and then they looked back into history. So you get various people who never heard of existentialism, like, for instance, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, called existentialists. But really, existentialism, I don't know whether he invented the term, but it became a popular uh, thing in France after the Second World War because of Jean-Paul Sartre, um, who I suppose is the leading philosopher uh, in France in, in the post-war period. Uh, and he called himself an ex existentialist, and it became very popular. You know, um, teenagers uh, in cafes in Paris called themselves existentialists on a ma major scale. So, um, yeah, you have to understand that in France, it's like, unlike other countries. Um, philosophers are like rock stars. They advertise products. Um, they uh, they give their views on everything. And... Um, uh, and and they're, they're glamorous figures for some reason. Um, and so Sartre was extremely well known in France and he preached this existentialism. So you're going to want me to say something about what it is, right? Uh, <laughs> I have a dictionary uh, definition. Yeah. What's that? I have a dictionary definition, if you'd like. Okay. Would you like yeah, it? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and it's got... Everything you said, literary philosophic cult of nihilism and pessimism popularized in France after World War II. I would disagree with that, but chiefly by Jean-Paul Sartre, it holds that each man exists as an individual in a purposeless universe, and that he must oppose his hostile environment through the exercise of his free will. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I think the part of existentialism that Albert Ellis highlighted was... Uh, what you just mentioned, Mick, that we don't have uh, a given meaning in life, and it's up to us to define meaning in our life. Right. 
Right. I think uh, I, a lot of a lot of people with existentialism think that it means that life is meaningless, whereas Albert Ellis would say, no, it can be quite meaningful. You create your meaning. Right. And you and whatever whatever you think, you do create the meaning. So if you know, if you believe in God, um, belief in God doesn't automatically lead to um, the belief that God is the meaning of everything. That's a separate thing. You could believe in God and think, okay, that's a powerful guy who has a lot of influence on things, uh, but I don't really um, have much uh, respect for him. That could be your attitude. So, um, th so there's a difference between belief uh, in some entity um, and taking it as giving you meaning. Uh, you know, around the time that Sartre was writing, a very large number of people in the world thought that Joseph Stalin gave their lives meaning. Uh, looking, looking back now, that seems a bit pathetic. Uh, but um, <laughs> right, right. Shows, was, yeah, while they were alive, anyway. Well, prior to that, people thought Hitler gave their life meaning, so that's pathetic too. Right. Yeah. 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 One, one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, one question I just want to interject, and that is, uh, uh, Michael talked about how Albert Ellis uh, interpreted existentialism. Now, whatever I have heard about uh, of Jordan Peterson, he interpreted it in a different way. What his argument is, because life is meaningless, it is your duty and responsibility to find meaning in your life. So, have you heard of that argument by Jordan Peterson? Yes. Uh, Peterson says a lot of things, and they're kind of jumble. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes they seem to be quite profound. Uh, other mm -hmm. times they don't they don't seem so profound um yeah. uh, one thing i can i mean i haven't i haven't looked at every youtube video that jordan peterson has ever made i've looked at mm -hmm. probably uh, uh 50% of them uh i've mm -hmm. also read all, read all read all his books um mm -hmm. uh i would say that when it, that as far as i can recall whenever he talks about existentialism he talks mm -hmm. about and uh, Theodore Dostoevsky. He talks about those two figures. And Kierkegaard. What's that? Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard, oh, Kierkegaard too. Yes, Kierkegaard yes. too. Um, yeah, yeah. Or in the proper Danish pronunciation, it's Kierkegaard. Uh, yeah, but anyway, yeah. um, uh, so that's that's he, that's the way he, he sees existentialism. I've never heard him mention Sartre, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't also. Um, so, so um, yeah, yeah. Meaning, uh, so the difference between Ellis's view and Peterson's view is Peterson says find meaning in your life as as if it's out there somewhere, whereas Ellis says define meaning into your life. You decide. Uh, do you agree with that distinction, David? Uh, you're asking me, Michael. Uh, anyone who has an opinion on that? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I see the distinction. I would say the the second one is the one I would pick. Um, uh, yeah. You know, I don't yeah, think you... I, I mean, there is a sense in which you're looking for the meaning, and that is to say, what is the best fit between your own genetic and cultural heritage and things you might do? And some people might start out thinking they're going to do something, but it's actually very ill-suited 
to their genetic or, and or cultural heritage. So in that sense, I, I think there is some I, there is some sense in talking about finding the meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but good ultimately, point. ultimately, you choose, I think. And I think in that sense, uh, Sartre and Peterson are correct. Uh, um, so I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, Mick? Yeah, yeah. One one point which I wanted to make. Yeah. So in that context, uh, what I can sense out of Peterson's proposition is that he says that meaning is something you must have. So he talks about mean uh, one part of meaning. He talks about you must have a routine because and he then gives some biological uh, uh, biological evidence for that, that if you don't have a routine, your circadian rhythm goes for a toss and therefore you should have a routine and stuff like that. So whatever claims he makes about having a meaning, they are grounded, according to him, in some biological and scientific scientific truth. And he says that, therefore, he adds a must into that, that you must, every individual must have a meaning. Mick, you wanted to get a word in? Well, I just for myself find that I create the meaning in my life, and I like creating the meaning in my life. Now we could say that the world exists outside of me and so i find my meaning from the world and that i like treating people well and living to do things that will make people enjoy living so that's what i create and we could say well i'm not creating it it's already there these ideas are not mine and then i think we get to a point where it's kind of ridiculous to be splitting hairs i could tell you probably my biggest complaint about jordan peterson yeah go ahead he is horrible at explaining things in a simple easily understandable way he is awful he always almost always complicates things and says things in crazy with his vocabulary is fantastic. I'll give him that. But he uses all these words like substrate and all these other terms. Albert Ellis defines things clearly, simply. And I go with Occam's razor. The simple explanation is almost always correct. And if you cannot explain something simply, Life is not that complicated. If you can't explain it, so the average person who works as an attendant in 7-Eleven can't understand you, you're not explaining life. Jordan Peterson complicates things almost all the time. That's my big complaint about him, my biggest. I have lots of other stuff. It, it would be fascinating if, if Albert Ellis were alive and had a discussion yeah, with yeah. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, that like two, two, two extremes uh, trying to find a, a, a middle path, some kind yeah. of agreement. I yeah. think it's yeah. it's part. You know, if you look at the classic period where Jordan Peterson was gaining, in, in, was becoming a real celebrity, was gaining in followers. Um, it was just before and during the period where he went on the road with Dave Rubin. And, and he gave these monster presentations where he would talk. Typically, he would talk for about two hours um, about some biblical story. Uh, but 95% of his talk was a digression into other matters. <laughs> he, would, 
he would sometimes joke about that. So like he's got a lecture on the, the origin of the idea of God. And when it's about an hour and a half in, he says, well, you notice we haven't uh, touched upon God yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think if you look at his performance in that classic period where he was becoming this huge celebrity, it's, it, 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 what he presents is someone who is thinking things through and doesn't really know where he's going to land. Going to land, you know, he's he's sort of um, he's trying to puzzle it out and show you he, thinking aloud what what he's doing. He's not presenting mm. you with, with a finished package. And of course, I, I mean, I think this is a this is quite useful as an what uh, what Popper called an immunizing stratagem. Uh, that you can say, well, I was just thinking about <laughs> um, <laughs> someone criticizes you. That was just part of my thinking aloud. And I eventually landed at a different place. So, I mean, I have to say this, and this is something we should bear in mind. Um, Peterson, recent, fairly recently, the last couple of years, made a big change. And he used to, he used to be um, uh, sort of respectful of, of Christianity and, and this even more so of the Old Testament. Uh, but then he announced he'd become a Christian, he'd come to Jesus. And um, this was, uh, I guess, about 18 months, two years ago. Uh, and I'm not sure what difference that's made in his general approach. Um, you know, uh, he still says a lot of the same things. And I haven't actually seen, that. maybe maybe it's there and I just haven't found it. I haven't seen uh, a place where he says, well, this is how I view things differently now I'm Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have Mick? one point. Yeah. Uh, let's give Mick So Mick, you want, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to add, uh, I wanted David and probably Mick, uh, because David is well-versed with existentialism also, and Michael, you are with REBT. So I just wanted to uh, trace back to our old point, which is uh, uh, what kind of similarities, in what way Ellis was influenced? Michael, you mentioned one aspect of it. But David, if you have some other insight, that in what way REBT or Ellis was influenced by existentialism and how he distilled ex existentialism into his own theory. So if anybody uh, of you can comment on that. Uh, aside from what I had mentioned earlier, just that one simple idea, I don't have anything to add. David, did you? Not really. I mean, I think when I first read about um, uh, about existentialism, which was about 60 years ago, uh, my my first reaction to it was, uh, this is all very obvious. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought back then, you know. Um, so... Um, uh, and uh, there is a there is a sort of kernel of truth in existentialism, I think. Um, and it, and it, it, you know, it's well, the, Sartre's uh, existentialist slogan was uh, typical, um, a typical kind of um, using complex prose kind of thing that uh, that uh, Mick was objecting to. Uh, but it's uh, existence precedes essence. Um, and what that means is you exist and you don't have any purpose. You don't have that. Nothing defines you. you. It's it's open. It's a bit like, um, uh, you see, Sartre developed out of Heidegger and Heidegger has this idea of thrownness. You're thrown into the world uh, and um, you find yourself in this world, which is full of absurdities and you try to make sense of it. Um, 
but so 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 this is this is a common thread in these writers um and uh, I, I think there's a great deal of truth in this. You know, uh, if I think back over my life, I was thrown into the world. I found all kinds of things I didn't particularly like and I found absurd. Um, I tried to make sense of it. And eventually I, I, I thought I did make some sense of some of it. Um, and um, uh, so it's it, the great thing about Sartre is uh, this emphasis on choice um, that uh, you decide. Um, uh, the other thing about Sartre is the emphasis on action as a pro as as opposed to um, airy fairy theories. You know, I mean, there's a there's a place where Sartre says, if you live out the comedy of loving your mother, even though you don't really love her, it's just the same as loving your mother because what you're doing is the same. Um, so, in other words, you, you you look at things in terms of the actions, um, and and so this leads to this idea of committing yourself. You commit yourself uh, to something. It could be Nazism, it could be communism, it could be Christianity, but uh, you make this commitment, uh, and that's a, a free choice. Um, and of course, Sartre has this idea. So, Sartre, in many respects, was very anti-Freud and didn't like all this uh, this uh, psychoanalytic idea. This is where he's he's different to Peterson. Uh, didn't like this uh, psychoanalytic idea that you you're being ruled by forces you don't understand. Uh, Sartre hated that and uh, he and didn't didn't accept there was such a thing as the unconscious mind. Um, and um, you know, so this this leads to this idea. You it, you're in this void with no clue. Uh, and you just have to make a choice and you have to commit yourself. Yeah, on yeah, choice, yeah. Ellis said it, Albert Ellis said it simply. He said, if you like war, work for war. If you like peace, work for peace. But make a choice and throw yourself into it. Mick? Yeah, I'd like to say this idea of committing and throwing yourself into something, I don't necessarily agree with because I think it's a good idea to evaluate the results of your efforts and constantly question yourself to see if your activity and your action and behavior holds up under scrutiny. Is it really valuable behavior? So yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. We got yeah. on the idea of committing to something, but I think it's a good idea to commit to something and be willing to abandon it if yeah. the commitment is not a good commitment. Right. Commit to something in an open-minded way. Yeah. Um, I was going to say about the word existentialism, I see it used a lot now, and I think people throw it around because they like the sound of it. We are in an existential crisis, which is, I <laughs> often see that, you know, and I think what people mean by that is a highly critical moment. Uh, well, well, but you see, you see, the thing is, it's, it's a change in the meaning. And this happens all the time in the history of language, you know, yeah. especially slang and uh, sort of in-group in language, like within a certain intellectual coterie, you'll get some uh, phrases and words, and then they spread to a wide, wider we, audience. We hear that in the course of our own lifetime. When I, when I, but it, you know, I can remember back. It, so I lived in, in uh, England until 1980, um, and I never heard anybody say anything like, uh, "This is an existential crisis." Um, and when I first heard it, it was after I'd moved to the U.S., uh, I thought, what are they getting at? And then I realized what they actually, whether this was the original intention when people started 
talking like that, or whether it's just the way it's become. What they mean is this is a threat to our existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an existential crisis, meaning you're actually not going to exist. You're going to be wiped out unless you make the right decision. So that's that's that, that's what it's come to mean. Uh, and it's really bro- so that means it's broken any link with existentialism. That right. the, word, the word existential is now used in a way that has nothing to do with existentialism. Yeah, the existentialism yeah. has reached an existential crisis in usage. <clears throat> right. <laughs> And now the new, I just wanted to add one point. Now the new slang, maybe uh, it is used. uh, I don't know whether it is used in the US, but it is a midlife crisis, which is we often hear people in their 40s. Have you heard of this term? Oh, that's been around for a long time. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. that was back. That was back in the 60s and 70s, the the late 60s, early 70s. It was that was hot in the US and in Britain. Yeah. Yeah. And of yeah. course, it's, it's all it's all nonsense because the research into um, subjective well-being shows there is uh-huh. no blip in, in psychological crises in middle age. In fact, uh-huh. there is a general tendency over the course of one's life, uh, that's to say those who survive long enough, uh, is to get less and less stressed out and less and less anxious. Uh, so yeah. people in their 80s typically are happier than they've ever been at any earlier stage in their life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bringing meaning back to uh, REBT, I've had uh, a rare client from time to time who says they're depressed because there's no meaning in their life, so they have no goals. And I tell them, "Well, here's a goal: find meaning, put meaning into your life, <laughs> and uh, also work on your must. I must have right. meaning in my life." Uh, otherwise, my life is horrible. So, yeah, David, were you going to say something? No, I was just thinking something, but it was a, ra- a random thought. I will I inflict. I will inflict it on you, though. Uh, I was recently having the thought that God, if he existed, uh, would have a problem of finding meaning in life. <laughs> yes, right. because yeah. he can do anything effortlessly, um, and he knows everything. Uh, and and and, uh, and so, what's the point? Yeah, be quite yeah. boring. Yeah. Right, right. He could have a chat with AI, Mick. I just wanted to complain about Jordan Peterson one more time, uh, maybe several more times. I see him constantly, vehemently arguing his point and his solutions for things. And his solution to so many things is solvable through rational motive behavioral therapy. And uh, I just see, and it's kind of, it's interesting to me that as a psychologist, he never mentions Albert Ellis one time. And I do agree, it's too bad Albert Ellis isn't alive to take him apart. Yeah, well, uh, there's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you all for participating. And uh, Michael, thank, do you do we you. have some uh, more time? A couple of one question no, uh, which is I'm remaining sorry, from sorry, Neeraj, Neeraj, uh, we're just about out of time here. And uh, I wanted to thank also Chris Rossini, uh, our tech engineer, for holding this all together. And uh, comment below if you have any thoughts on what we discussed. Give us a thumbs up if you enjoyed it, suggest subjects for our future podcasts, and Subscribe to the 3-Minute Therapy Podcast. 
to stay on the rational side of life.